Thank you, brother. All right, as we take a look at this text together, I want us to begin by looking at some of the verses that come right before it and right after it. So if you have, have a Bible with you, please, uh, please take a look at it. And take, why don't you just take a moment and look at verses 7 through 9 and verses 18 through 20. They come right before and right after our passage. And as you're taking a look at them, does anyone see what they have in common? can shout it out when you have the answer. What do they have in common? Exactly. Passage right before and right after our story today, there's people trying to figure out who Jesus is. Which leads me to the conclusion that this story right here is especially supposed to teach us something important about Jesus' identity. And that as we learn this thing about Jesus' identity, it's going to be the key for helping each one of you be fruitful and helpful for other people. If you don't know who Jesus is, you actually can't really help someone else. And so we're going to see how discovering Jesus and who he is and some important truth about him impacts the way that we relate to other people. So as we jump into our text, if we take a look at verse 10, it says, On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. Okay, so the apostles, his disciples, are returning from somewhere. Where are they returning from? They're coming back from the ministry and the mission that Jesus had just sent them out on. Sam's sermon last week, he preached powerfully about how God had filled the disciples with authority to preach his kingdom, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and they're coming back to Jesus. And this is probably their most proud moment yet as followers of Jesus. So far, they've just been watching him do it, watching him heal people, watching him preach the kingdom. They got authority, and they went out, and they did it. And they're coming back to him, and they're probably pretty excited because it says, they're going to tell him everything they had done. They're probably exhausted. If you remember, he said, take nothing on your journey. They were dependent on other people's provision. They were also dealing with crowds of needy people. They were also suffering rejection and staying in meager, meager quarters. So they come back to Jesus, and he says, let's withdraw to a town called Bethsaida. So he's saying, all right, guys, all right, disciples, let's go on a retreat together. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's go rest up. Let's go talk about what happened together. I want to minister to you. I want to serve you. I want to build you up. I need rest. You need rest. We all need rest. And what happens? We've seen this before in the Gospel of Luke. There are relentlessly needy people 
who are all over the place where they're ministering. It's like there's relentlessly needy people all around Minneapolis, all around us. And they learn that Jesus and disciples had left. And so they follow them. They pursue them to their private retreat where they were going to rest. And how does Jesus respond in this moment? Like, when I go home to my home and I lock the door, I rest and relax and I have that feeling of being away. And when people call at the wrong time, it's very easy for me to not answer. It would have been very easy for Jesus to say, not now. I need to rest right now. We need to rest right now. Please don't disturb us. Instead, he uses this moment as a huge teaching moment for his disciples by modeling what the kingdom is like. What does it say he does? It says he welcomes them. He welcomes them. It's like he welcomed you and me. He welcomes them when they're tired. He welcomes them when they are not ready to provide hospitality. And he provides them hospitality. Actually, in the story, we're about to see him provide a lot of hospitality. First, he welcomes them. He's about to feed them. That's what's going to come up in the story. This is a story about Jesus' abundant hospitality. And something that struck me is that in the season of COVID, hospitality is probably more unusual than it's ever been in decades and decades and decades. And yet people are more needy for love and human company and compassion than they've been in a long time. So are we going to welcome people, church, like Jesus? Are our homes going to welcome people? Or are they going to be castles where we wall ourselves off from the world? How we treat strangers actually reveals a lot about what we believe about Jesus. And so I just want to challenge us and encourage us from this text to welcome people like Jesus welcomed the crowds. And what's he going to do? He's going to first teach them. He's going to speak to them about the kingdom of God. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourselves this question. We asked this question last week. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? It comes up a lot in the Bible. One definition that I've heard is the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Now, if you think about that, I want to ask you, what is the first example of the kingdom of God that we see in the scriptures? Who can say something? Who knows? What's the first example of God's people in God's place under God's rule? Yes, the Garden of Eden. The first time we see God's people in God's place under God's rule. And something that strikes me about Eden is that when we see this beautiful garden God had created for his people, he says you can eat of all the trees you want to except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which tells me the Garden of Eden is a place of abundance. And that's what this text is going to hone in on. It's going to hone in on the abundance of Jesus. Jesus says, 
Abundance leads them to practice hospitality. The kingdom of God, one defining characteristic of it is the abundance that God provides. I love abundance. I love how when God first created the world, you didn't have to work and toil for the provision that you needed. I love opening up the fridge and finding leftovers that I don't have to work to prepare. And we, we love, we need this abundance. And so many people do. And sadly, when Adam and Eve sin, we lost it. God's people stopped being God's people. God's people stopped being under his rule. They rebelled against his rule. And as a result, they got sent out of his place. That's why the world we're in doesn't have abundance. It's not because God isn't good. It's not because God isn't taking care of you. It's because we sinned and forfeited our place in God's kingdom. And so when Jesus comes to provide abundance and teach about the kingdom of God, we should hear that he's repairing and putting back together what we picked apart with our sin. It says that he cured those who had need of healing. He cured those who had need of healing. One of the things that was not in this place of abundance was sickness and death. The sickness and the death we see in our world is a result of the sins that we committed. So everything that we're seeing in the background is this, in the story is Jesus is coming to teach about a kingdom that people are not in. You see that? Do you see the tension there? He's teaching about a kingdom that people are not in. And he's doing it in a way that's bringing them into it. He's bringing them into it. He's bringing them back under his rule. He's bringing them back into his people. And one day, when he comes back, the place will be restored. The place where he'll reign over his people. So now we get to verse 12. We get to our story. And what we see here is a problem. It says, Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve said to him, Send a crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So they spent the whole day with Jesus. They hadn't anticipated spending this long with him. They spent so long that the sun begins to set which if you live in Minneapolis is not that big of a problem. But if you're here, out in these regions near Bethsaida, this is a huge problem. There's no restaurants. There's no safety lights. There's no way to travel at night. There's no protection out there. Parents, can you imagine if you just took dinner off one night with your kids? What would happen? The wives are looking anxiously at the husbands, the kids are crying because they don't have a meal. And all of a sudden, the disciples are freaking out. Man, Jesus, look at this awesome event we had, and it's about to be ruined because we don't have any food. What are we going to do? 
What are we going to do? Luke meant, the disciples mentioned, we are here in a desolate place. And once again, the story is making mention of the fact that the people in the story are outside of the place of provision. They're outside of the place of provision. They're in a desolate place. There is nothing here that could provide for them. And this environment that they're in is a picture of their souls and a picture of our souls. So when Adam and Eve left the garden, sin corrupted them, and they ended up with emptiness inside of them. Apart from God, our souls are desolate. The environment these people are in are, is a picture of what's within them. When we're separated from Christ, we don't have his provision, his presence in our lives. We become desolate places. One thing I, I, that struck me as I read this story is that the greatest need these people had was not bread. The greatest need we have is not bread. It's deeper than that. They were in a desolate place. They were desolate. This is setting up Jesus to show how he provides. In this time of need, there would not be an opportunity for Jesus to provide unless they needed him. I just want to encourage you to think of your times of need. Not as moments to freak out, but as opportunities to, for God to provide for you. If God hadn't put you in some of the places of need that you have been in your past, you would have not been able to see him work for you. You would have not been able to trust him like you did. When he puts you in a place of need, it, oftentimes it is not punishment, it's mercy. Because he loves to provide for needy people. Jesus does not like the disciples' plans. They, they come up with a plan. They start scheming right away. They start scheming. Well, they could go to the villages and the countryside and find lodging places and provisions. We have a plan, Jesus. We can fix this. And while what the disciples immediately say probably sounds reasonable at that moment, it probably shouldn't be in light of what just happened. They had just went village to village with the authority of Jesus and casted out demons and preached the kingdom of God. And now they're with the man who had sent them to do that. Wouldn't you think that they would think, Jesus, there's something you can do here. But they don't. They don't. They're quick to forget that Jesus can provide. I'm quick to forget that Jesus can provide. And I know a lot of you are quick to, to forget that Jesus can provide because you, like me, have a lot of anxiety and spend a lot less time praying and a lot more time worrying about things. So Jesus, in verse 13, I love his answer. He says, you give them something to eat. What, what Jesus? You, you give them something to eat. What do you mean, Jesus? There, there's 5,000 people here. What is it you want me to do? <laughs> We only have 
Five loaves and, and two fishes we found. How are we going to feed all these people? Those five loaves are probably five little mini biscuits. And it says in verse 14, for there are about 5,000 men. So there's a huge amount of people that Jesus wants him to feed. That number 5,000 probably does not count the women and the children. So we're looking 10,000 up at this crowd. And they're, to a certain extent, panicking. How are we going to do this, Jesus? The word that comes to mind to describe their feeling at this moment is inadequacy. Inadequacy. What situations do you feel inadequate? And oftentimes, it's moments where you want to help someone else, and God is calling you to help someone else, and you feel inadequate. You know what I'm talking about? When you talk to someone on the street who's gone through more trauma than you could ever even comprehend, and you think, what am I going to say? Or you're working with a family member, and it just seems impossible to get a breakthrough. You feel inadequate. Jesus put them in a situation where they would feel inadequate, and he has put you in situations where you will feel inadequate. Because when you feel inadequate, it's when he loves to show up and loves to provide. You give them something to eat. They're, they're not ready yet to trust him. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. I love how patient Jesus is at this moment. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't tell them, fine, I'll handle it. Don't need you, unbelieving people. Man, no, he says. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. So Jesus, he's patient with his unbelieving disciples, and he starts to use them. He sends them out to the crowd and has them sit down in groups of 50 each. Why groups of 50? What's going on here? This is probably the number of people that would come together and hang out who were having a big feast. If you're having Thanksgiving dinner, you're having Christmas dinner, you'd probably have about 50 people come and hang out and have a feast together. What Jesus is doing is having the crowd sit down in groups where they can feast together and enjoy this miracle. Where they can witness and experience what's about to happen with other people. I love this picture. There's a group of thousands of people sitting out in a wilderness place as the sun is setting with no food in sight and everyone's sitting down getting ready for a feast. What's about to happen? What's about to happen? And they did so. And they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. I want you to compare Jesus's response with the disciples' response. Take a look at those. Take a take a look at the words in verse sixteen. I want you to compare Jesus's response to the disciples' response. All the disciples can see is right in front of them. That's all they can see. There's no thought of God, no thought of heaven. 
No thought of his power. Just right. This is the people, not enough food. It's over. That's, their, that's their, how their minds are working. Jesus' first response looks to his father. Considers his father's limitless provision. Considers his father's ability to take a disastrous situation like this and turn it into a victory. He is not confined to his circumstances because he knows someone who's greater than his circumstances. You are not confined to your circumstances if you are trusting in someone who's greater than your circumstances and who's sovereign over your circumstances. He looks up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. So Jesus is giving thanks for this meal that his father is about to provide. In this text, as so many of these texts in Luke, we see this beautiful weaving together of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. We see the humanity of Christ. Before a meal, he's looking up to God to provide and giving thanks to him. And then he says, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And suddenly, a group of 50 or group of 50 after group of 50 after group of 50 has enough food out of nothing to eat and provide for them. Does anyone remember in the Bible when bread shows up out of nowhere to feed God's people? That's right. That's right. After God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt, he brought them out into a wilderness which is where we're at in this story, and created miraculous bread out of nothing on the ground all around them. And he did it for 40 years. God fed his people day after day after day for 40 years with miraculous bread out of nowhere as they were traveling towards the place where he would be king in the promised land. What do you think this is saying to us? One thing it's saying is that since Jesus is the one providing bread, like his father did in the wilderness, he also is God. Jesus is man, and Jesus is God. He is the God-man. He's unique. There's no one like him. And one way he shows his uniqueness is he provides with abundance. Here's a fundamental thing Anyone must know about God. He always gives. We always receive. I love you guys, but God does not need any of you. He always gives. We always receive. That's the way this relationship works. God is always the abundant provider. We are always the receiver. God always creates. We always receive. He has no needs. I have needs. You have needs. And the way he designed the world to work is that people would have crazy amounts of needs. They do, don't they? Crazy amounts of needs. And God would have a crazy amount of provision for crazy needy people. One thing this story is teaching us is that God loves to provide for you. He loves it. 
He loves it. The fear we have as we think about the future and whether or not there'll be enough and whether or not this or that will work out comes from our lack of trust that he loves to provide for us. Do you know that, that he, not just do you know it, do you believe it, that he loves to provide? I want to challenge you. When you feel fear and nervousness and un- lack of confidence, and there will be moments of that that are coming, please respond with prayer. Please respond with prayer. Please don't let your mind race and just try to figure it out. Please, I know it sounds so simple, but it's so hard. Respond with prayer. Respond with prayer with your brothers and sisters. Respond with prayer to him. He loves to provide for you. Now, this is a part of the story that really strikes me. It says that he gave the loaves to the disciples to set before the crowd. You hear that? He gave it to his disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus wanted to provide, but he wanted to provide through his disciples. He didn't want to do it himself. He wanted to do it through his disciples. Why would he want to do it through his disciples? Because when he gives to someone, and that person is able to overflow and give to someone else, he's doubled the provision. He's given twice instead of just once. When you receive from God, and you're full, and you overflow to someone else, God has given twice rather than once. And it's more glory for him. It's more praise for him when he provides twice rather than once. He loves to use you to minister to other people because he loves to give. And it's the way he multiplies the provision. And one reason we need to know that is because we are so prone to believe the lie that we're inadequate. Lord, I only have five loaves and two fishes. What, what can I do for this person or that person? What can I do for him or her? I only have five loaves and two fishes. And in one way, you're right. You are insufficient. But when it comes to you serving others, it's not about what you can give. It's about what he can give through you. It's about how he can use your gifts to bless other people. The fact that you are inadequate and he uses you nevertheless is the reason why the credit goes to him and not to you. He loves to use inadequate people. He loves to use bumbling people like these 12 disciples to feed crowds of 10,000 people. He wants to use you to humbly and gently share who Jesus is with people. He wants to use you to open up your home and show radical, ordinary hospitality with a goal of changing where someone spends eternity. He wants you to use you to comfort other saints, other brothers and sisters whom Jesus has died for, who will live forever with him. He wants to use you to comfort these people. He doesn't want to just do it on his own without you. He wants to work through you. 
The main burden, the main point I have for our sermon this evening is that God provides for us to the extent that we overflow and serve other people. So we see in this text, he provides for us and we overflow and serve other people. It's exactly what the disciples did. And it's exactly what he wants you to do. And one thing I found, church, one thing I found is that when my prayer life usually consists of God, please help my life to get better, my prayer life doesn't see much answers. But when my prayer life changes to God, please give me the boldness to share Jesus with this stranger I just met. Or God, please give me the patience to keep serving this brother and sister who annoys me so much. Or God, please give me the strength to open up my home tonight when I just am out of energy. All of a sudden, man, I see answers to prayer. And it's the, it's the moments right after God uses me, right after he uses me, that I feel most confident in his provision. When I'm walking away from those encounters, it's when I feel the least anxiety, the least fear, the least turmoil. If you want to live a life of freedom and joy and not worrying about anything, then give yourself to loving and serving other people with the strength God gives you. That's how you can live. That's how this text is calling us to live. And verse 17 says, And they all ate and were satisfied. Now that word satisfied doesn't mean like they nibbled on the food. It uh, means something more along the lines of they gorged themselves. This is a word that is used, forgive me, for animals when they consume a lot of food and they're satisfied. The abundance that Jesus provided here was a complete abundance. The point of this text is Jesus satisfies. He really and truly does. Like nothing and no one else you've ever encountered, Jesus really and truly does satisfy. Looking around right now at a lost world who's jamming drugs and sex and alcohol and anything they can into their bodies to try to satisfy. And it's failing. That's why there's so much despair and brokenness around us. This, the bread is not about the bread in the story. The bread's not about the bread. The bread's about Jesus. It's a picture of him. Later in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is sitting around at dinner table with his disciples, he's going to lift up some bread, break it, say, this bread is my body, which is for you. I want to call us and encourage us to feast on Jesus in the days and weeks to come. In prayer, in worship, in Bible reading, to feast on him. He doesn't want you to come to him with timid appetites. He wants you to come to him hungry for him. You never have to be ashamed of feasting on Jesus. He'll fill you up like nothing else will. He'll satisfy you like nothing else will. These crowds didn't have to go anywhere else to get dessert. They didn't have to go anywhere else to get a side dish. They went to Jesus and they were satisfied. 
Where else are you going to find satisfaction? What's taking you away from him? Come to, come to him. Be satisfied with him. He'll truly touch those deep appetites in your heart, those cravings that we all have. Just come to him. The greatest moment of provision that we ever see in this story is still coming. It's when Jesus is on the cross. Your sins and my sins cut us off from all of the provision that I'm talking about. Cut us off from all of the provision I'm talking about tonight. 100%. If you're dead in your sins, no provision from God. And that would have been the case for me. That would have been the case for anyone in this room without Christ. In this story, we see him break the bread. At the Last Supper, we see him break the bread. Why is he breaking the bread? It's a picture that his body is about to break. He's about to provide himself in our place for our sins. So that he can give himself to us. The greatest provision of all time, in all of eternity, is the Son of God dying for sinners like you and me so that he can welcome us into his family and provide for us himself. This is where this story is going. This is where this book is going. Our Lord Jesus provides himself in his crucifixion for you and for me. And I just want to plead with anyone not to leave this room and leave that offer on the table. You have to receive this meal from Jesus to be saved. You have to receive the Lord Jesus to have your sins forgiven. If you want the kind of provision I've been talking about in your life, in your heart, please talk to me or any of our members before you leave. Don't leave and stay empty. Don't leave and stay not full. He's already done everything to give you everything you need. Please take it. Take, take what he's given you. Receive it. Join this crowd of 10,000 feasting on his provision. And then look at the last verse. The last part of that last verse. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. What is going on here? Why would Luke, with so few details that he includes, talk about twelve baskets left over? I think he's making the point I was making earlier. How many disciples are there? Thank you, whoever said that. Jesus has 12 little care packages set aside for his disciples. As they poured themselves out, serving these crowds, and it would have taken a long time to pass this food out, what they found waiting for them at the end of it all was a basket of bread for them. 
think, you think you're sacrificing when you're giving to other people, but you're not. You're gaining. You think you're losing out when you're pouring yourself out for other people, but you're not. It's just another opportunity for God to provide for you. So, I just want to call anyone not to waste any opportunity you have. Serve people in this church. Serve your neighbors by pouring yourself out for them because of the rich provision that this text and many others promises will be there for you. Please join me in prayer. We thank you for your word, Father, and for your provision. Oh, it's so good. It's so good when you take care of us. Pray that you create a feeling of peace among all people's church that our Father will provide for all of our needs. Peace so profound that when we meet other people, they're wondering what is wrong with these people. Why are they so content? And want to know what's going on. And I do pray for all the exceptional needs in our bodies right now that you would please meet those needs. Especially through us using our gifts to serve one another. And now as we worship you and take the Lord's Supper, please help us to praise you for your abundance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.